story. It's a good, wonderful song, is it not? We have, uh, we have the most beautiful songs, I think, in our churches than any other place where you'd find music. I mean, uh, boy, it's, songwriters really did something in the past. Amen. Uh, I want to play my harmonica, but I, I want to use this microphone. Uh, song man, uh, sound man. I want to use this mic for the harmonica. Can I do that? Yeah. I'll cut, cut this one off and I'll use this one. All right. There's a song that says, Standing on the Solid Rock. I'm standing on, on the solid rock. Okay. Too loud. Standing on the solid rock, that's what we're doing, amen? Okay, you can give me this one back. All right, thank you very much. I, uh, I always say nice things about the sound man. Is that for me? Yes, sir. I'd rather have Pepsi, you know. <laughs> no, water's fine. <laughs> All right. I don't know if you remember the old Pepsi-Cola and Coca-Cola before they started putting all the chemicals in it. It was really good. It's not good today. Water's better now. But it used to be Pepsi. Amen? For a nickel. An Indian head nickel. Have you ever seen one? Indian head nickel? That's the old nickel they had when I was a boy. For an Indian head nickel, I could get a Pepsi-Cola. And for another Indian head nickel, I could get a Baby Ruth candy bar. And that Baby Ruth candy bar was as big as Baby Ruth's bat. 
And I mean, that was a feast for two nickels. And I'd work all week for two nickels. Then I'd get to go to town and buy me a Pepsi and a Baby Ruth candy bar. I still like them. I like them both. Age never changes appetite, right? And uh, I'm happy about that. I'd like for you to turn your Bibles with me, please, to the book of Ecclesiastes tonight. It'll take you a minute to find it, Ecclesiastes chapter 11. And so I'll ask you, while you're looking, to remember Lois and I in your prayers. Uh, Tuesday we have a fellowship meeting where we're going to preach to preachers. And then uh, uh, Wednesday we go out on the island and preach out there in, uh, I never can remember the name of that town, Holtzville, Holtzville, Long Island. We'll be out there in the Bible Baptist Church of Holtzville. We've been involved in that church for a long, long time, and uh, God's used us in that church, and we're going to go out there and preach to them. And then we're coming back on Thursday, we fly to Buffalo, New York, and we get in our car and we drive to uh, western Ohio and spend the night, and then uh, we get up and we drive then to Wichita, Kansas. And we're out in Wichita, Kansas for a meeting. And then we go from there down to uh, Missouri. We'll be in Missouri a little bit, and then we go to Arkansas. Then, then we go from Arkansas over to Oklahoma. Eufaula, Oklahoma. There's a big boys' ranch there where they take boys that uh, are with problems and uh, work them over and train them and teach them and They've had great success with, with troubled, troubled youth. And so I go there and preach to the church and to the young people. And then, uh, and then we uh, go back to Missouri for a, another fellowship meeting, uh, really a uh, home mission conference meeting. And then we go from there, we're going to go back to Ohio. And from Ohio, we're going to re-rig everything and we fly down to uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. And then from North Charlotte, North Carolina, we go to Fargo, North Dakota. And uh, from Fargo, we uh, come back home, and then we get ready and go to Florida. And while we're in Florida, we're going to go hold a revival in the Bahamas, if it's not swept away by now. We're going to go hold it. It'll be my first time to preach in the Bahamas. I've been there before, but I... I'm going to go there to preach this time, and uh, we're going to be there for a meeting, and then we're going to come back, and in December we're going to go to Scotland and hopefully Israel, and then we come back and go to the Philippines. We'll be in the Philippines, Taiwan, and Australia, so uh, we've got a lot to do before February. Then in uh, March, we're going to go to uh, the West Coast. Washington, and uh, that area out there in Washington, and then uh, up to um, Salt Lake City, Utah, and uh, then to, uh, I can't think where it is we're going to go from then, and uh, I've got it written down in there. I'd be in a terrible mess if I'd lose that book, wouldn't I? And uh, then we're going to go, uh, by that time it'll be May. We'll be home. We'll be gone away from home all that time, which is about six months. And so keep us in your prayers. That's a lot for old people to do, but uh, 
we've been doing it for a lot of years, and uh, we just know how, how and when to rest. That makes it possible. Otherwise, we couldn't do it. I had a good nap today. How many of you had a good nap today? Did some sawing of logs and, uh, and uh, snoring. I used to tell, I used to go to fall asleep in a chair, you know, and snore. And my kids were saying, oh, Daddy, you snore. I'd say, oh, no, I don't snore. I never snore. And, oh, that's just your imagination, you know. And the kids were, they were uh, saying, oh, boy, Daddy, you. So they got the tape recorder and tape recorded it and played it back to me. And I said, oh, that's not me. That's somebody else. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, if you don't snore, you miss out on a lot of good sleep, right? Amen. And so, uh, and uh, everybody else around you misses out on a lot of good sleep. Amen. Uh, Brother Thompson and I, my old pastor and I were traveling one time. And we had traveled all day. We were tired going to, to some meetings and and uh, we got a motel room, and well, we, we, I mean, just as soon as our head hit the pillow, we were asleep. And the, uh, about two o'clock in the morning, the desk called up the phone. Well, Brother Thompson, you couldn't, you could not resurrect Roy Thompson with an atomic bomb. He was not going to wake up. But I woke up, and I answered the phone, and she said, the room next to you is complaining about excessive snoring. I said, well, move them. I put the thing. <laughs> Wake me up to tell me that. Can you imagine that? We weren't going to change anything. It's going to be snoring till daylight. Amen. And, uh, but uh, anyhow, I don't know how I got off on that, but pray for us, would you? Pray for Lois. She's got to put up with the snoring. And uh, pray for us as we travel. It gets a little more difficult all the time when we're traveling out there and doing all this work that we're doing. And we hope that you'll keep us in your prayers. You know, I don't realize that I'm old as I am until I look into a mirror. I, uh, I heard about this woman that had gone to the uh, museum, art museum, and she was looking at all the Pictures on the wall, you know, art museum. And the guide was telling them about this thing and that thing. And pretty soon the old woman, you know, the old people don't care anything about modern art. And she looked and she said, oh, that's the ugliest modern art I've ever seen in my life. That's terrible. And the guy said, madam, that is not modern art. She said, yes, look at it. Look how ugly it is. He said, no, madam, that is a mirror. <laughs> she saw herself, right? Amen. <laughs> so I say, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who is the loveliest all them, of them all? And the mirror says, not you, ugly. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, <laughs> pray for us that God would bless us. All this travel, you know, it gets more difficult out there traveling because people are using their cell phone and people, now they can get marijuana, all they want of it. I know it's supposed to be illegal some places, but it's plenteous now. And Washington just legalized the use of it, so that's three states where you can buy it on the street. I was up in Denver some time ago, and I told the pastor I was with, I said, 
This marijuana is going to destroy this city. And they're headed for some real trouble. Denver has been a great town for the gospel. Now you can buy marijuana right off the street. I mean, legally. Uh, we're, we're in a pack of trouble. You know that? And it's going to be, it's going to be legalized in other, other places. So uh, pray, pray for us, would you please? People out there on marijuana and using their cell phone for everything in the world and trying to drive a car. And uh, ever, it's, a, it's a mess. It's kind of like, I don't know if I told you about the two old women that was traveling, traveling along. And the driver went, ran through a stop sign and a stoplight. And uh, the passenger said, oh, honey, you went through a stop sign and a, tra- and a traffic light. The driver looked over and said, oh, am I driving? <laughs> Oh, wow. It takes us both to drive, so please keep us in your prayers. And then pray, if you would, please, for our Bible college in uh, in uh, the Philippines. Uh, I, want to, uh, I want to bring some people over here and help us to raise some money for that. We need to get that Bible college straightened around. Our, our dormitory is in a horrible shape, horrible condition. And really... Uh, some of the young men, some of the young preachers are sleeping on church pews in the church auditorium. And so uh, we hope that you'll pray about that and God will help us with getting a good building. We, we've got a building that we can buy and we've already got some money saved up for it. And uh, we've got a building we can buy, but uh, uh, and it, it, would, uh, it would at least give us something that we could build onto. So... Keep us in your prayers, if you would, please. Okay, tonight I want to look at uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, and I'm going to read some other verses here tonight, if I can see to read it, and uh, that we're going to kind of couple together with this. But uh, it says this, starting with verse number 1, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it, after many days. Give a portion to the seven, and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty them, uh, themselves upon the earth. And if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth There it shall be. He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. There's a lot of preaching here in this, and I want to do that tonight. I think I'm going to read um, a couple other verses to you. You don't have to turn there. While the earth remaineth seed time and a harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. That's Genesis 8:22. <clears throat> Anoint me to be. Uh, there is a time to be born, and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up. Ecclesiastes 3:2. I want to talk to you about. <clears throat> What the Bible says here as a, uh, really as a command, it says, cast 
thy bread upon the waters. Now, the Nile River uh, runs 4,258 miles from the Lake Victoria the whole way down to Cairo, Egypt. And on its way going down there, it goes through 11 countries, and uh, it goes toward a delta, a very, very rich delta. And the reason why it's rich is because Many times the Nile River will flood and cover that whole area of Egypt, that whole area over with water, and the water is full of silt. And that silt is topsoil, the best ground in the world. It it, it leaches it from uh, the countries, 11 countries, and deposits it in a kind kind of a flood in Egypt. Now, the Egyptians always looked forward to that because that would give them a lot of rich soil in which to plant their seed and raise their crops. And what they would do is when that would flood, they would go out there with their seed. Uh, probably oat seed or uh, wheat seed. And they cast it out upon the water. And that seed would soak up the water and go down in the in that silt, in that topsoil, and it would sink in that mud. And then when the water went down and receded, because it's very rich and because it's very full of water, moist, the seed would sprout in that mud and grow, and they would get a tremendous crop out of that. Because it was very rich soil, it had come down from... From uh, all those countries uh, uh, that's, uh, uh, that is south. The Nile River runs north. And at, the, at its uh, average place, it's two miles wide. It's a big river. It's not the widest in the river, uh, in the world. The widest river in the world is the Amazon. And the deepest is the Amazon. And it flows more water than any other river. But the Nile has this system of bringing that topsoil down and dropping it in that delta. Some of the richest places to grow crops in the world is the delta of the Nile. And so the farmers would go out there and throw their seed out on the water. And uh, the Israelis got that idea, and they were doing it in some places where it was a similar situation with water and river. And that would soak down that bread, or that uh, seed would, and it would grow a great crop. Now, the Bible is talking about that here, about, and using, using that as an illustration of us involving ourselves in the work of the Lord. And as we are here talking this week about faith, promise, giving, about giving. And it says, cast your seed upon the water, for it shall find, for, for thou shalt find it after many days. And uh, casting that seed, throwing out the seed, investing that toward the harvest. Now I would like to say that um, the Bible calls it here bread instead of seed. Because that I think is because they were anticipating 
anticipating the harvest as they were planting the seed. It needs to be cast. It needs to be planted. It needs to be thrown out there. That harvest so that we can have food. But we always, we always planted, always on the farm, we always planted with a harvest in mind. When we were planting in the summer sun out there on the farm as a boy, we always thought about, you know, one of these days we're going to have a harvest. Uh, Psalms 126 talks about a man that goes forth with bearing precious seed, uh, will come again in like manner as you've seen him go. And the Bible talks about him weeping as he goes and sows his seed. I used to, I used to think quite often that that was weeping, that, that planter, that farmer, that sower of seed was weeping. And I used to make a big sermon out of it. I'd say maybe he's weeping because there's some people that used to sow with him used to work with him, are now gone. They're dead, and their grave is up beside the barn. And he's weeping because they're not there. Or I would say maybe he's weeping because of, uh, uh, because of the fact that uh, he has children at home that could eat the seed if he didn't use it for seed. And I've talked about seed the other day. And I, I said maybe he's... he's uh, uh, thinking about harvest, and you know, maybe it's it's all the above, but I kind of think maybe that it was a great deal about his anticipation of a harvest. When you're doing all that work, you don't out there in the sun. You you you, you don't do it because uh, you necessarily like that hard labor, but you do it because you know that eventually you're going to have a harvest. Oh, what a nice thing it is to have a harvest. We used to go out and harvest the fields. And uh, the corn, rich people had a corn picker. It was a machine that came behind the tractor. And it had, uh, they had uh, one row corn pickers and two row corn pickers and three row corn pickers. And they'd get out there and they'd pick that corn with that machine. We always did had to do it by hand. That's a lot of hard work. But when you're out there in the field, and the harvest is ripe, and the corn is ready, and you break that ear off, and you pull the shuck off, and throw it in the wagon, you think, boy, that's good food. It's going to be good for, it's going to be good for our animals, and we're going to feed the animals, and then the animals are going to feed us. And so, uh, you know, you do that, that's harvest, that's fun, and you anticipate uh, Mama cooking some good food and biscuits on the table. When on our farm we had a cow, a Jersey cow. And that old Jersey cow would give milk. Well, she didn't give milk. You had to take it away from her. But you had to milk her, you know. But uh, we call it giving milk. And uh, we'd go out there and milk her. And, boy, it was about 40% cream. And uh, one of the reasons why I'm the size I am, I've always loved cream because I, I grew up on that old cow's cream. And a Jersey cow's cream is yellow. It's not white like you have cream here, like half and half and all. It's kind of yellow because it's so rich. 
And we'd take that, we'd take that Jersey cow milk and we let it set and the cream would come to the top. Cream always goes to the top, you know. And then we'd scoop that cream off of the milk and we'd put it in a jug and I'd sit there and shake the jug like this and all that butter fat in there would cling together and we'd have good, good, real good yellow Jersey cow butter. Boy, there's nothing better than that. Or we'd whip it and make whipped cream. I have to tell you this. My mama used to make two big cakes, sheet cakes. They were that long and that wide and that thick. And we'd go out along the railroad track and we'd pick strawberries, wild strawberries and, or, or, or uh, raspberries or blackberries. We'd bring them in and mom would make a, uh, a, a, a strawberry cake, like, like a strawberry cake out of it. And uh, uh, she'd, she'd take the strawberries and mash them up and put sugar with them and cover one of them cakes and put another one on top and cover that all over. And then she'd cover it about that deep in that uh, whipped cream off of that old cow butter. And us Claytons, there's a big bunch of us. Mama had ten children. And uh, uh, we would get that, and of course, I was the baby of the family. They always saved the best one to last. And, uh, boy, we'd, we'd have that great big, and, I mean, the Clayton family would lick that thing up in one, one setting at the table. We'd eat it up. I mean, it was delicious. Now, when we were out working on the farm, we had that in mind. We were thinking about strawberry shortcake. A raspberry cobbler. And uh, we were thinking about fried chicken. We were thinking about mashed potatoes and gravy. When we were working the farm or we were working the garden, we, we, had, we had in mind when we cast out the bread or the seed upon the water, we had in mind the bread that's going to come out of it. And that's the way it is with the sowing the seed in church and the work of the Lord and giving and praying and helping the missionary. You, you have in mind the result of this and what it's going to do for God and the work of the Lord. I think about uh, this family going to Japan. We had an old pastor over there. And it'll take me a minute to remember his name. I do want to remember it if I can. He was the oldest pastor, the first pastor of the Baptist Bible Fellowship in Japan. First native uh, national pastor. And uh, he uh, was hired by uh, Ike Foster, our first missionary over there, to be the interpreter. And he got up in the, in the he got up when he interpreted the first sermon and he told the people, he said, Now, I don't believe anything this preacher is preaching. But he's paying me money to be an interpreter. Now, don't you get mad at me for telling you what he's saying. All I'm doing is telling you what he said. If you get mad at anybody, get mad at him. Because it's his words that I'm interpreting. And he said, I need the money for my family, so I'm going to be his interpreter. And, uh, oh, he... I mean, he was an old man when he started, and he was the oldest pastor over there when he died. And uh, 
Boy, he, he was a tremendous man. He was my interpreter for some meetings over that we had. And uh, so he was teaching along and, and, and doing the interpretation. And one night, Ike Foster said to him, You know, you're not doing a very good job interpreting. Because Ike Foster would preach for 15 minutes. And then the interpreter had, had to try to remember all of it and ter- interpret all of it. And he wasn't doing the, Ike Foster didn't think he was doing a good job. And uh, finally, he said to him, look, you're, I'm paying you money for this and you're not doing a good job of this tonight. Oh, he said, Ike Foster, son. He said, tonight, I've got to get saved. The message had dealt with his heart, although he said he didn't believe it. Passing through him, (laughs) it had done something to him, and he wanted something out of it. So they stopped their interpretation, got down on their knees, and Ike Foster led, Adachi was his name, Adachi Sensei, led him to Christ, and he was saved. And then he got up and said, now when I first started interpreting this man's message, he said, uh, he said, I didn't believe anything he said, but he said, I believe it all now. The preaching of the word through him convicted him and he got saved. And he became a great pastor. And uh, Brother Foster said to him, now, Adachi, you've got to get rid of your idols. And he had what is called a God shelf in his house. It was a shelf where they thought that, that their God lived in there. And then Ike Foster said, I'm coming over there and we've got to get that God shelf out and burn it. Oh, he said, Ike Foster son, he said, that's been the God shelf in my family for centuries. He said, you've got to burn it. Got to get rid of it. And he took it out to burn it and he said, now open it up and see what's in it. And he pulled the little doors open and there's a little bit of oat straw in there. Wrapped up and tied in with a little, a little piece of uh, bamboo. That's what they had been worshiping all those years. That was their god. And Ike Foster and him burned that thing. And uh, Adachi was a preacher of the gospel the rest of his life. You know that's a, that's the bread. That's the bread that you're, you're you're thinking about when you cast the seed upon the water. It works, it's planted, and you have a harvest. There's a little time always between planting and reaping. It says, after many days, it'll come back to you. After many days, it will sprout and come back to you. There's always a little time, and sometimes in that time, there's some difficulties that come along. With the waiting and the and the uh, the planning that goes along with the harvest. Uh, one time we were going up a mountain in the Philippines, and the army was coming down the mountain. They'd been up there in a battle. Uh, there was wounded men on the tanks that were coming down the road. There were pickup trucks full of dead bodies, and uh, men were shot up, and there were. There were uh, uh, troop carriers full of men bandaged 
heads bandaged, arms bandaged, legs blown off, coming down that mountain. And uh, we had to wait until they passed so we could go up the mountain. And I said to Ed Lorena, we're going to go up here and preach where they came down. They, they just had a battle up there. And he said, yes, but you don't have to worry because the communists, they like the pastor up there. And uh, he's already told them that you're coming, so no problem. We went up there on that place and got up there and preached and had 200 people saved that night. So, you know, it turns to be bread. And you're going to see the seed that you cast upon the water. You're going to, you're going to see it germinate. You're, you're going to see, you're going to see it develop. Uh, John 1, John 12, 24 says, Except a corn of wheat fall to the ground, it abideth alone. The grain has to be planted and then there's a time of waiting until the harvest comes. But the harvest comes. And the Bible says, after many days, you're going to find that, that bread that you cast upon the water. Now, Jesus uh, used those farmer's illustrations. In fact, you would think that uh, God was a farmer if you read the book. Because it uses so many farm illustrations. But it's something that we're well acquainted with. It's something that, we're, that the Bible speaks here of us being involved in the service of the Lord like a farmer does his field. And it's good for us to know that. Now, what you're going to do is you're going to, do, you're going to be investing your time, your money, your prayers in the work of the Lord. And it's going to produce great things. It's going to produce great results down along the line by you serving the Lord. A good illustration of that is, is Ruth and Naomi in the book of Ruth. And I've preached on that some places. I like to preach on the subject. You know, uh, Naomi went back with Ruth to Bethlehem, Judah. They had been down in the land of Moab. And they went back up there. And when they got back up there, they uh, got involved in the harvest uh, of, a, of a near kinsman to Naomi's husband. And uh, Ruth was able to go out in the field and glean in the field. Well, when she went out there to get the harvest, she had no idea the results that were going to come to pass. She was just going to go out there and glean. What that meant was they'd go out in the field, and where the harvesters went by, they would miss some grains, and the poor people were permitted to go out and pick up those grains off the ground. And the corners of the field... They were not allowed to harvest the corners of the field, and the uh, the gleaners would go out and glean the wheat or the the barley or the or the oats uh, out of the corner of the field. That was a, that was kind of like a welfare program where where people got something that, where they couldn't uh, otherwise have anything to eat. It was providing for them after the generosity of farmers, and it was a law they had to do it. If they didn't, they were in trouble. And Boaz saw Ruth out there gleaning in the field, and he told his men, he said, I want you to leave some handfuls of purpose on the ground for her. So they were harvesting 
the grain, and every once in a while, after so many steps, they just take a whole handful of it, lay it on the ground for her to find. And she'd find it and take it home and make food for her and Naomi. Naomi was depending upon it. It's a good story. I hope that you'll read it. It's uh, really, really good and interesting. And he saw her and liked her and married her, and they had a son. His name was Obed. And that Obed was the father of Jesse, the grandfather of David. And, of course, Jesus came through the lineage of David. So that the bread, the harvest, was this wonderful blessing to them of being a part of the Christ child that was born in Bethlehem, Judah, where they were from. It's, uh, it's, it's the, the, the bread will come back to you. And when you give, you give with the idea now, let, let me be conscious uh, to seeing what God will do for me when I give. So I, I wanted to talk a little bit about that tonight because I want you to expect to see what God will do. And He's going to do it for you. The bread's going to return. And it's going to be bread. It's going to be the best. Some years ago, I was starting churches in Ohio. And there was a man came up to me and said, Brother Clayton, I want to pay the whole bill for the next church you start. And I said, well, we're going to go down to Jackson, Ohio and start a church. He said, well, I'm going to pay the whole bill. He said, I've got some money here. He said, I don't want anybody else paying. I want to pay the whole deal myself. I want to be the one that pays the money to start this church. His name was Wiley Lilly. He'd been, uh, he'd been a, a barroom fighter before he got right with God. And uh, he'd go into a bar and throw everybody out the front door and say, I want to, when I drink, I drink alone. He'd, mean. He was a little guy, but boy, he was mean. And he got right with God. And he was just on fire for God as much as he was on fire for the devil before. Now he had a good job and he said, Brother Clayton, I want to pay the bill. So we went down to Jackson and started the church. And we built a good church now. It's still in operation. That was way back in the 60s. Now the church is still going. And uh, I held two revival meetings there to get the church started. Two tent revival meetings. And then later on I came back and I held another revival meeting with a team of workers. And we worked over the city and got people coming. And it really, really, it really created interest in the town. And we built a great church there. As I said, it's still there. And uh, one of the people, one of the ladies whose family had come to the revival and gotten saved, invited all of our team members out to the house out there to have a meal. And we went out to sit down at her house, and she had a big table full of good food. And while everybody was eating, she said, Brother Clayton, would you come with me to the kitchen? And so I walked with her over to the kitchen, and had a little window over her sink that looked out over a beautiful meadow, a stream of water running down through the meadow, and there was cows out there eating grass, and chickens, all their animals were out there on that beautiful meadow. 
And she said, Brother Clayton, I was standing here one day looking out this window to that meadow. She said, my daddy gave me this farm. So it was his and he gave it to me. And she said, I married this man and said, he and I have two girls, two daughters. And she said, there was trouble in our house. She said, I knew my husband was seeing another woman. And she said, uh, we had gotten way behind because he was spending his money on her instead of paying the bills. And said, we got way behind. And he said, I just knew that we were going to lose this farm to the bank because we'd borrowed money on it to pay the bills. And she said, I was standing here thinking about suicide, about ending my life because she said it would be a disgrace for me to lose my father's farm. And, and I, I, I had thought that I'd lost my husband, my, gir- my girls, because of the trouble in the house. My girls were not doing well in the school. And she said, I was thinking, standing here thinking about suicide. And she said, there came a knock on my door. And she said, I went to the door and there was two girls standing there of your team. And they handed me an invitation out to the tent revival. So I looked it all over and said, when Daddy came home, said I said to Daddy, you know, we're probably going to get separated here. But she said, before uh, we, we, we have a divorce, she said, I'd like to try just one time. I'd like to try religion. I'd like to go to church. And they have a revival going on in a tent up in Jackson. It was outside of Jackson. Would you take the girls and me to that tent revival? He said, yeah, I'll do it for you. You've been a faithful wife to me. I haven't been a faithful husband, but you've been a faithful wife. And I'll take you. I'll go with you. They came to the tent revival and all of them got saved. The whole family got saved. They got in the church and they got to serving the Lord And to my knowledge, the last I heard, they were still there serving God and being the faithful people of that church. They were able to save the farm. They were able to save their marriage. And it all goes back to Wiley Lily saying, I'll cast the bread upon the water. It didn't happen overnight. It took a while. But we cast the bread upon the water and I mean the seed upon the water and it turned out to be bread you know what it's going to return to you and I want you to to be conscious now of how God's going to do some things for you by your generosity and giving it's a beautiful thing we might even write a book about it someday or maybe you would but as these testimonies tonight I think this church is going to have a lot of good testimonies in the future. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Well, our heads are bowed and eyes are closed here tonight. I want to ask you a couple of questions as I normally do. How many here tonight say, Brother Clayton, I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I know my sins are forgiven. 
And I'm born again, and heaven's my home, and I know it tonight. Would you slip up your hand as a testimony tonight? Hold it up here and keep it up just a minute. All of those of you that cannot raise their hand, look around. You can see how many people here that have that good assurance. God bless you. You may put them down. Is there somebody here tonight say, Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved tonight. I'm not sure. I want to be saved. But I pray for me tonight that I can get saved. How many others? Hold it up. Yes, God bless you. I want you to get saved tonight now, both of you. When the service is over, I want you to talk to the pastor's wife about being saved, you girls. I want you to go home knowing that you're saved. I wonder how many here tonight say, Preacher, I've been asking you to pray for me this week. I'm going to ask you again. Would you slip up your hand and let me pray for you? You may have a, have a burden on your heart that you want me to pray about. Hold up your hand tonight and I'll pray. All right, let's stand together, shall we please? We'll pray. Uh, play that old song, My Jesus, I Love Thee. I Know Thou Art Mine. What a beautiful old song. Maybe you'd like to come to the altar now and pray before we sing tonight. Just slip out of your seat and come. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. My precious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. Oh God, tonight, as we pray before you, we pray, oh God, that you take charge of all of our lives here tonight. And help us, Lord, to be conscious. Help us to be conscious of what you're doing in our lives, Lord. And help it to be a blessing and help it to, to pass it on. Bless these that have come to pray tonight. Hear their prayer, Father. And do a miracle for them if they need that miracle. Do it tonight, Father. I pray that you'll do it tonight. And work all of our hearts over with your grace and mercy that we might be that we might be casters of the seed and then reapers of the bread. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. While our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, you probably know that song, sing it with me. My Jesus, I love thee. I know Thou art mine. For Thee all the folly of sin I resign. My precious Redeemer, my Savior art Thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis.